Hi, and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those related to the industry. My name is Link, and today I'm joined by both Scott Slucher and Connor Quinn, who are currently working on a little gator game. Hi, Scott. Quinn, how are you guys doing today? Or Connor, oh, sorry. Oh, it's me, Quinn. You know me. You love me. You're looking forward to a little gator running around in a playground. I know it. Don't lie. Hello. I'm also here. That's Scott. That's the lead developer of Little Gator Game. And I'm the I'm the art man, writing man, uh, colors man. <laughs> Uh, and for the, for correction, it it is Connor. I I made I missed I made a mistake there, but thank you for for running with it, uh, Mister Art Man Color Man. You better believe it, Link. Thanks for having us on the podcast. <laughs> uh, you know I I'm very appreciative of both of you joining me for for uh, not only to be the first um, dual uh, interview setup that I've I've done, but also because you know I I played. The little gator game on one of your demos or one of the steam fests uh, a while back i think it might have been your first demo when you released it or the first one you released or what have you uh and you know it was an absolutely fantastic experience i um i really enjoyed it because it it kind of i shouldn't say kind of but it it really like encapsulated the idea of you know you playing with your friends as a kid in like you know uh, out at the playground or just like after school or on weekends or whatever, just at the park or, or wherever. And, you know, kind of just creating uh, adventures for yourself where it didn't really have to be grounded in any form of reality uh, or, or any form of actual danger. And I mean that in the sense of like with a uh, little gator, the, the enemies, or at least the enemies presented in the demo. Uh, and I'm going to presume it's going to be kind of similar uh, moving forward. Um, but the, the enemies are just like, cardboard boxes that you're just sort of taking down or cardboard standees or whatever um so you know yeah i'm really glad to have you guys both here it, it's you know uh the the game from where i played the demo is is absolutely fantastic and yeah just i'm happy to have you guys here thank you for joining me thank happy you so to be much here. happy to be the first the first tag team team on the red tunic uh, and hopefully, hopefully it doesn't go ho horrible that I dissuade you guys from ever doing something like this again in the future. Dissuade from doing what thing? From being a tag team team on the Red Tunic podcast? From being on a podcast. <laughs> or creating a little gator game. Uh, well, let's go if I don't want to be the person that does anything to tank you guys working on a little gator game some more. We'll go with that route. That seems a little more... Uh, uh, a little more appropriate <laughs> sure no um it, you mentioned the demo which was the only demo there, there's was, only been one it was the demo for the steam next fest of last year i think it was in november mm -hmm. or october there's a couple uh we, we were at indie land uh which had a, a area where you could sit and play some of the people's demos of their game and we we didn't have anything ready for that. We weren't going to have anything ready for that. So any time that an opportunity has come up of, well, are we going to make a more updated demo? It's just, well, we're about to release the game. So, you know, maybe we talk about it after that, depending on what the marketing needs are. But uh, so far, the game's coming out in December. So 
that's pretty much the best demo you're ever going to get. And, you know, like I said, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I, I, my significant other, they played it. She also enjoyed it. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I think it's probably the best demo that's even needed uh, to, to, to sell this game. Cause I'm already on board and I, I imagine many others are as well, just because like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's, it does a wonderful job encapsulating the nonsensical nature of just trying to have fun after school or, or whatever, you know? You can't expect more of that. You can expect uh, there's not a health bar. There's no fall damage. It is an experience entirely focused around the characters that you're meeting and the sort of uh, ADHD impulse that we collectively share as a development team to make number go up and make color appear uh, the you'll let me reset here <laughs> so a lot of the enemies all the enemies are, are going to be cardboard or some other crafting type of material and it's all the the something that is different from the demo one of the things that made us decide to take it down was that uh, in addition to the demo just the, the the demo portion is still in the game but it has uh, a lot of different writing new writing a lot of different framing devices and a couple of the new movement options that didn't exist in the demo uh, including some of the, which you've seen in trailers like climbing trees and tight ropes those are there's trees everywhere so those are all over the tutorial area now and persist in different forms throughout the rest of the island yeah we 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 would have put up a new demo but i mean for one with the steam next fest stuff they only let you be in one next fest so it's a little bit not as important now but then also we've been really <laughs> We've been really buckling down to just get the game finished, and we haven't had a lot of time to budget for getting a demo all packed up together. Because it seems like just putting a demo together would be pretty easy, but it took us like a month to really get everything together and get everything like locked down and presented correctly. Yeah, because the Scott mentioned that he was kind of working on this on and off long before anybody else hopped on board and a lot of that was just making the terrain of the entire island to where by the time we actually started populating it with stuff it, there was sort of a framework of what could go where already and, and a couple of the skeletons of larger quests that were already sprawling out and occupying their certain area of the island so but when the demo for us was a lot of different things at once, it was, we're not only like writing content and, and putting things places, we also have to figure out what that's going to look like. Like, what is the menu going to look like? What are the characters going to be saying? How do we want to pace everything? Um, and once, once we like crunched all that conceptual work in order to produce that, snippet there was still a lot of work to do but now we were more able to follow a pattern and fall into our lanes and iterate the rest of the game from there 
Yeah, For, to an extent, um, with the demo, up until putting the demo together, we we were sort of working on the game very... Uh, it was very all over the place, the development, like, oh, let's spend some time mm -hmm. here and fix up this quest. Let's work on this quest over here. With the demo, we had to... It was we had to do everything in that spot, get everything fully finished all at once, which no other place on the island, you know, <laughs> look, speak, peek behind the curtain. Nothing else in the rest of the game was to that point at all at that point. Um, so we had to nail down how quests were implemented correctly. We had to nail down the writing style 100%. We had to uh, make sure that the mechanics were actually implemented well and felt good. Like the demo was to an extent like a live test for the basic design framework of the game to see if people would actually, because we didn't know going into it, like this is kind of a weird game, right? Like there's no combat. There are enemies, but they're not really enemies. They're most, they're kind of like collectibles more than enemies, if anything. And I've sort of been, it's it's been a bit of a question in my mind throughout development whether people would even enjoy a game without combat. Oh boy, did they ever. <laughs> but the, the demo was uh, something we also referenced internally um, for the rest of development in order to get the density of the quest givers and how to lay out enemies it was it was a very important stapling moment of productivity and you know that's that's great to hear because like it's interesting to see kind of here behind that curtain about um i'm gonna call it the panic <laughs> that would have like went into trying to actually prepare that snippet and i've spoken with a few people that have you know um their, their game is just, you know, as far as it is right now, is kind of like a, a vertical slice or what have you. And it's always interesting to hear um, different sides of how that works. Uh, so thank you for that. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's amusing to me to hear like that it's, you know, the, the, the kind of the panic that went into like, oh, okay, and, you know, working towards it, but now kind of helped you guys find a, um, what I'm, understanding as like a more consistent voice or a more consistent um idea if what i'm saying actually makes any sense i think yeah it sense, yeah. yeah like coming out of the demo like after we had the demo made we then had like a consistent structure to put quests into we had a consistent uh sort of ideology behind what quests should be or how like decorations and breakables uh, should be placed throughout the environment. Um, like we had a much better idea of the pacing of the game. And uh, it also showed us how e <laughs> we had some very clear feedback just watching people play the game because mm -hmm. for instance, a lot of people would just follow the path immediately to the right and get the shield in the right, in like the Martin section of the island. 
instead of immediately going to the quest that's right next to them with Jill. They just couldn't find the forest. Like, they, like so, so, some people, there's like, Jill, it's, it's in the magic forest. And they were looking around and seeing trees everywhere and going, I don't know which of these is the magic grove. And that's how they ended up over there. Yeah, so we, we, we learned not to take for granted uh, that players aren't going to just stick with a quest and just bash their heads against it if they don't know what they're gonna if they don't know what to do they're just gonna leave uh so we we it was great to have that feedback though because we were able to go in and reshape the the tutorial in a little in sort of i don't know that someone would notice the ways that we've shifted the tutorial around a little bit, like if they hadn't played the game or seen the game since the demo, but looking at them like side by side, you can see some little touches. Like we put you some. You wouldn't be able to tell visually. It, it's it's a lot of like little dialogue changes and and uh, uh, toys in a couple of places where they weren't before. Yeah. And you know, speaking to the differences of of that. Um, personally, as long as I can still ragdoll and roll around, I, I don't yes. think there'll be any There's issue. no danger of that. Um, I'm not going to lie. That was, uh, possibly one of, and I, I can't, I can't explain why. So I'm just going to say on my part, it was one of the dumbest things I enjoyed doing, um, yeah. in a long time with, with games and it's. You know, because a lot of games, you know, uh, 3D platformer type games, you get to run around, you get to do things, but not a lot of them let you just push a button and be a dumb ragdoll and just sort of like flop around and see if you can get some, if you can get some air bouncing off a rock or um, somehow slinking between the park bench and getting stuck and then having your character uh, flop and fall as you try and pull them out of it. Um, yeah, that. That that speaks to sort of one of my earliest, earliest goals for this project. Like way back to I've always wanted this to sort of feel like a big toy box of just silly things. Because I have a I have I don't have a lot of experience making full-fledged games. Like, the only other full game that I've made before this was, like, a congregate, like, web game that you can complete in, like, 10 minutes. And that's, like, my only actually, like, released game prior to this. Other than that, I just have a bunch of prototypes, a bunch of jam games. And I've always found playing those prototypes, those jam games, like going to game jams and playing the weird mechanics, the weird uh, uh, the weird toys that people have put together for these jams to be really enjoyable in a way. But you always look at those and you're like, well, this is fun, but this stupid mechanic wouldn't work in a full-fledged game. And I am over here and I'm like, but... What if I did it anyway? What if I put in the ability to ragdoll at any it's point? It's the kind of stuff you... that you try to do anyway. In any single player game, you're you're once you've you know lost focus on whatever you're doing, you're going around trying to goof with the geometry and like, oh, I wonder if this NPC reacts when I jump on them. 
right? And then you get so excited when they do. <laughs> so it's it's really cool. And there there's uh you know way more than just the ragdoll in the uh in the full experience in terms of uh goofy little ways to make gator transverse the environment. Yeah, I I I devoted a lot of development time to making sure that there was sufficient moments like the ragdoll where you're like there's no way they put in the development time to have this as an implemented feature in the game, right? And the answer is we we did for better or worse. <laughs> so, you know, I I will say to that that it you know, in some of the older, like some of the other games that do let you control a ragdoll, they're few and far between. Um, I can say from memory, I had more fun with Lil Gator's version or implementation than I did with something like um, any of the Saints Row's uh, insurance fraud or whatever, whatever their mechanics were, where you actually got to do that. Um, or any of the other games that I just, I honestly can't remember. You could just ragdoll and it was, you know, you just ragdoll, right? Um, so... Um, I, I appreciate, I think I, and many other people, um, who probably appreciate the work you did put in for, for ragdoll and any other kind of like movement mechanics, because, um, like I said, I legitimately spent a good solid 30 minutes just ragdolling <laughs> around like an idiot and having a whole, like laughing hysterically and having a blast just ragdolling around like a complete fool. So, um, you know, kind of to what Connor said, when you lose sight of the other things, I'm probably just going to be losing sight as I ragdoll around mm -hmm. um, or seeing if I can do something stupid like shield slide or sled or whatever and into a ragdoll or just something. Um, so uh, thank you for the work you're putting into that because I can promise you at the very least, I appreciate it. I, I'm so glad that you do. There I hope the, many others do as well. Uh, so far, so far, so good on that front. So far, so good. We 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 played it. We had uh, they were playing it at Indyland uh, while we were there, and pretty much the whole time, the the person playing it just kept ragdolling at every opportunity possible. <laughs> I'm happy to hear it. That I'm just so happy to hear that that it's it's that the the mechanic is paying off. You know. It's uh there's there's a certain gameness to lack of control right uh, uh because you want to win in a situation that wasn't designed for you to win right that's why people like boundary breaking and discovering weird unintended mechanics in games and uh i i think that's part of why the ragdoll is so fun is because you at, at any you get to decide the rules of at any point you choose you can't move normally anymore and you you're sort of inventing this game that clearly wasn't designed for you to win and you can bail at any time you want and you can succeed at any level that you want and i think that's what makes it so exciting so i think that really speaks to uh speaks to what you said scott about the game feeling like a toy box i was going to make the 
comparison that it feels like a sandbox in that, you know, you have all this yeah. stuff and you can just do whatever. And Connor, the way you put that in the, uh, that you can like just make your own rules and all that, it, it all kind of ties back to, you know, that just being like that going back to just in the, the, the view or the instilling that this is just a childhood game, like that it's, it's very close to what you actually would have did as a child. Um, I don't want to say, you know, it's just Calvin Ball rules, but like the introduction of certain mechanics kind of does make it make Calvin Ball rules just for you, right? That is, um, uh, hmm. There's, there's a couple different things that are running through my head. And I think I, I'd want to start with prompting Scott by saying that's that what Link just said reminds me of what the reason you put climbing in like the climb meter do you remember that do you remember what yeah you told me? that uh yeah because we have a mechanic in the game which is that you're able to climb and it uses essentially a stamina meter it's like the same as something like breath of the wild and while for the most part we have kind of eschewed um, sorry, that's my phone. I'll turn it off. I'll I mean, go I back. Did the same thing. Um, how far back do you want me to go? Uh, you, as you far said, as you want. Oh, you're talking to Connor. Sorry. I have you, Link. Just, just, just keep talking. Just keep talking like you didn't stop. This is all in, in hell now. It's all in <laughs> hell. Drag us out of it. It's kind of like Breath of the Wild. Uh, Breath of the Wild has a climbing feature that uses stamina, and while, for the most part, we've removed a lot of the stuff that you would associate with something like stamina. And, um, you know, health and, and danger in a lot of ways. Yeah, like all those things that you would typically associate with some sort of game mechanic stopping you from being able to do something. I felt pretty strongly, both intuitively and also just from playing the game, that you still need a little bit of resistance so that it actually still feels like a game. Uh, like, if you can climb anywhere you want from the get-go, it's, it's less interesting that way, right? Like, even though we are going for a game that is very freeing, that is very without consequence, that is very easy. <laughs> um, it's still a game about growth, you know, down to its narrative core. Yeah, and so being able to climb the walls a little bit further as you collect the bracelets, because... There's a bracelet in the demo. There's, should I say how many more bracelets there are? Not how many, just that there's more. <laughs> there's more bracelets for you to collect throughout the rest of the island. And it's sort of a marker for growth that lets you explore the island a little bit easier every time. Um, and sort of, in a sense, like turns it more into a sandbox. Uh, as those restrictions get lifted a little bit at a time. Also, if you're listening and you're like, ah, oh, how am I going to know how many bracelets? You'll know when you get the last one. 
<laughs> well, that's and that's always good to know because um, <clears throat> from a from a completionist standpoint, knowing that you're done is always fantastic. You know, um, even if it's like an in-game kind of. Uh, reference to let you know or an actual what have you um you know countdown um knowing you have all of something is is fantastic i i uh one of the things i always hated about older games is you kind of just hoped you had it all <laughs> right you hoped yeah, you had yeah. found all the secrets and then you got to like some games like donkey kong country two and three where the and even one i think i don't remember but like that hundred percent went to like 112%. So like oh you, you never knew. So, you know, it's always nice when the game lets you know. Oh, 12, 12. What a weird what a weird end cap. That's so silly. Uh, I don't I don't know for certain if that was like the number, but they went past like 100. Um mm -hmm. and it's it's always just been a pet peeve of mine. It's like, well, numbers mean nothing now. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm personally pretty strongly a completionist archetype when I play games, so I've I've put in some stuff for that. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, what, you'll, th this is a... Go ahead, Spinner. Um, it, it may seem like, like the game keeps track of like the number of friends that you've made throughout the island, and it also keeps track of all of those little breakables that you break throughout the whole <laughs> island. Uh, which sounds awful to 100%, but we have, we've put in some stuff to actually make it pretty attainable and fairly, I find it fairly rewarding to pick up those last few breakables because by, by, by searching for them and finding them, you're finding little, tiny little corners of the island that you hadn't touched previously that you weren't really aware of and you're, and you're seeing just all these that's that's the that's the part of the of completing a game that I always find the most interesting is that like just going through a game and just 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 going organically and just find just just playing through the game as it expects you to and just doing stuff as you go, you miss a ton of little weird corners that the developers had to put so much time and effort into and by going back and finding those corners again you're like what i had no idea this was here why are there three barrels stacked on top of each other in this one corner of like forsaken fortress or something you know it, it it's a very boring example but <laughs> <laughs> three barrels but you know God, what I mean. I like, can barely lift the one. Like, uh, it's these huge worlds. Like, like Twilight Princess has a bunch of these, where there's just caves. Where if you just play through the game normally without going crazy with the side quests, you would never find them. Or if you found them, you would go into them and do them a little bit, and then turn around and leave when you ran out of torch uh, juice. Um, but if you're going through and trying to get everything, you're like, oh, it's this cave, and then you go through and you're like, oh, it keeps going, and it, you, it, and these caves just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're like, 
I had no idea this was here. I would have never come back here if I wasn't trying to actually collect all of this stuff. There's an obvious example of that too, which is uh, Elden Ring. I sure, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard this, but I I played that video game, and the first time that I went through, I got nearly all the way to the tornado island, and I had never met Ronnie. Still have never met Patches. Um, didn't know about the guy at the Rose Cathedral. Didn't know about uh, it, it. It took me getting to the Altus Plateau before somebody looked at my map and said, "You haven't done the other half of Limgrave, of the starting area." And and I I beat the game without <laughs> doing a lot of that stuff. So. Like more than half of the, and I mean that's of course this is an extreme example. Elden Ring is is like a three could trillion dollar masterpiece, but uh, Scott's example proves that it holds to games of many scales. Referring to a Zelda game as a smaller game is a very Twilight Princess is smaller than Elden Ring. That's all I'm saying. It's smaller than Elden Ring, but it's still a pretty big (laughs) game. Okay, well then let me at least sit here for another 20 minutes and I'll think of one that's even smaller than that. (laughs) Um, Okay, I I literally just thought of an example. Didn't even have to... uh, It's an old game. It's an oldie but a goodie. Ages uh, 4 to 8 or whatever. Pajama Sam. Pajama sure. Sam is an incredibly small video game. It's a point-and-click adventure. Very different than lots of other types of video games. But there is so... Like, there are things to click on everywhere. So if you you can scour every single screen... The other day I was playing it with my friends, just going through it for fun, showing them, like, ah, oh, this was a cool thing that has remained cool. And they clicked on things that I had never known did anything. And I saw animations, you know, after having played this like a hundred times when I was young, I'd seen animations that I had never seen before. And there's a, there's like a whole YouTube video I watched about this one hallway that has these three candlesticks in it. And they have different dialogue combinations depending on which order you click on them. All, all sorts of little stuff. Oh, and there, there was something I wanted to mention as well. This is a, this is like if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to be a game developer and with all your lofty dreams and whatnot, this is for you. Our team is three, like basically three strong, and and we get outside help every once in a while, and. Robin uh, is very sweet and doesn't uh, really push in on many of the debates. So really the debates come down to me and Scott, and we still have them all of the time about many, many different things. Uh, One of those things, to loop back around to what we were talking about earlier, one of those things was the topic of completion, about um, how completion fits into the the narrative world like who's who's giving you the ability to finish this game in a narrative sense and uh we really got into it on the topic of achievements 
on like what was achievable and and what was worth risking having to start a new save file for or something like oh. that turned out nothing but uh <laughs> the other day i got a twitter dm from someone whose name i can't quite remember but their their tag was effectively completionist their name like com- com- completionist grace or something like that and they they came to me with that question like hey listen just give me like obviously you can tell my shtick just give me a heads up is there anything in this game that i'm going to have to start a new save file in order to get and i was proudly able to say like nope we that that was something scott was very adamant about uh, and you'll be able to do it all in one run even if it's just something that you don't think about until you've already done everything I have very strong thoughts about achievements. Mm-hmm. And I've um, heard them all. I'm I'm happy to hear that that was like an actual forethought. And, you know, that does kind of lead into um, another question uh, or a question that I had wanted to ask. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, kind of, you know, usually I ask, you know, one person how they got into developing games. However, um, in this case, I have you both here. So I'm going to ask, how did you guys come together to start working on a little gator game? Well, uh, at first it was just me making the game by myself. Like at first it was, I, there was a prototype that I made in December of 2019, just by myself in around a month. Uh, the game is pretty unrecognizable, but all the little seeds were still there. Like you were playing as little Gator, you had Big Sis trying to convince her to play the game with you, and there was a playground, and some of the characters were there. The elephant <laughs> the was there. The monkey was there. Elephant, monkey, the llama was there. The oh. raccoon, the trash raccoon, was actually there in that earliest <laughs> version, but. And he gave you moon shoes. But then after that, uh, COVID happened, and I, I, I wish I could say that I took that as an opportunity to just buckle down and use all my free time. But I think, like all of us, I kind of lost motivation from being stuck inside all the time. So development kind of waned for a little bit, but. After a few months, I really picked back up the development, and I think at that point, my partner Robin joined the team to help with 3 modeling and music, and also helping run the social media. And then very soon after uh, he started running the social media, we 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 realized we needed help with that as well and that's partially how connor got into the picture like we had consulted connor previously with like color theory he had made the logo for the game um and just general art advice but i think the the actual impetus of you joining the team was because we needed someone who 
could who had the free time and capacity to actually like run the social media stuff and then later correct me if i'm wrong it was kind of after the fact that we were like oh and you can also help us with art and writing and character design and yada and then the list just started going like extending and extending it extended because i wanted to do things because when i when i first came in uh i was happy to help just be a just be someone who responded to messages and also uh very early on i i I mean i i knew these guys so it took a little convincing of like do we need another team member but once i was on board we all knew each other and and trusted each other and stuff like that so like the next day i was in a meeting with a potential publisher uh taking notes and absorbing all that sort of stuff so i i did that i i helped make um like keep notes and and correspond with publishers as well as fans and then you know You know what? Hang on, I'm kind of drawing a blank. And just kind of ballooned out from there, maybe? It A lot of what I ended up doing on the final project of the game was me trying to take things off of Scott's plate. Because Scott, as he mentioned, started out the game and, and had very strong opinions about the characters and, and how things were meant to progress. And that sort of, uh, which happens a lot when you're creative, it sort of ends up forcing you to do things that you don't want to do, that you're not good at, and that you don't really care to get good at because you have so many other things that you're worried about. Um, So at first that was, uh, well, these, there needed to be character models. And I was like, "I, I know art. Let me help you make the character models. Keyword help, but I I, I know art, so I picked no, up. No, no, I think it was the UI. I think the UI might have been the first thing that you worked on. That sounds right. It's like yeah, we we th- this thing needs to happen, and you're the guy with the most experience. So I I took care of it, and then the next thing needed to happen, and Scott was programming and robin was making music and and doing architecture so i was like i'll take care of that and uh then it was writing you know a lot of scott's writing was like uh was like technical writing and and placeholder stuff so i jumped in and started writing the quests and eventually it got to the point where i was no longer um creating assets to fill empty space but creating new assets and at at that point i mean i I felt like the artist and writer long before that but at that point it was pretty clear that i was the artist and writer because i was doing all the art and writing and uh along alongside the ui um which was for the for the uh what's it called for the demo that was the item screen the the little notebook and at the time, we had only had the slime hat, the stick, 
the wooden sword, the shield, and the teddy bear, the ragdoll. And at at that moment, I decided, like, I I can do, you know, because also we were looking back and forth between other games that inspired us. Like, okay, well, how did they do this? How did they do this? What should this look like? What would what looks good to us out of the games that we like? And I was like, I'm going to we can't just have these be the 3D models on the page. I'm going to have to make images of all these items. And so before we even knew what half of the catalog of items was, I, I had set in stone that we were I was going to uh, make all of the images for those uh, and was very confident in myself that yeah. I could. Yeah, Connor's initial images were very detailed, and I was like, Connor, you're going to kill yourself. Don't do I this. only brought it back a little bit. <laughs> I'm very powerful. None of you test me. So from what I'm really hearing here, Connor, is that you were you were Sam to to his to Scott's throat. <laughs> Sam Sorry? Samwise. Thank you. You Scott. guys are you guys can kill me if you want, but I really don't know anything about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm, if I am interpreting your meaning correctly, you're saying that Scott found the magic ring and <laughs> I came along to help out on the adventure and ended up being the super cool, amazing one that everyone wants to kiss on the forehead. Yes, that's exactly what he's going for. Beautiful. <laughs> then, uh, yes, that's accurate. Scott, I'm happy that that reference wasn't lost on you at the very least. Lost like they got lost in the mountain of Stop. gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You thought I didn't know anything. <laughs> so thank you for explaining how you guys like how how you came to be working on Little Gator together. Um, it's it's always interesting to hear kind of like how the team fills out because you know usually when I talk to someone it's just hearing their approach or how they like started things and hearing. Um, the the multiple the multiple roles being filled and how and why they need to be filled is really interesting because uh, you know a lot of people um, they'll see like an indie project and you know they don't they don't really put that kind of thought into it because they you know un until you're sitting right there trying to have to flesh everything out um, you know you don't really have the experience or the idea for it. So thank you for explaining that. That's really interesting to to hear it all kind of yeah. fall out. I'm sorry, the pieces fall in, not out. They 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 were they all fall into place like a like a tower of cards collapsing back into a deck. <laughs> I have wanted to make video games since I had an idea of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um there's a there's a little story behind that, but I, I've always known that that's what I was going to do, and I've been building worlds and and doodling characters and all that stuff since I was little. So, uh, and and uh, closer to when I hopped on board with Gator Game, I was actually approaching indie devs and asking for a job and and seeing what i could do and so i'm i'm always going to be very grateful to scott for uh needing someone to fill a role and for letting me be the person who 
filled that role. And I so feel a lot weird. more confident as a developer now. It's so weird that you were looking at all these other indie games and you didn't come to me first thing. <laughs> that that's that's the thing. Um it, it, the the nature it, it it was just it was just a very bizarre storybook sort of timing thing because i i kind of felt like you guys were were okay you know i i didn't know very much about the industry or or where i could fit in or or it, that you were even working on something that would require my my talents you know what I mean? And it, the see, definitely seeing it on, seeing it, like seeing the character move and seeing how big the world was that you were building uh, definitely gave me, you know, some ideas that uh, that a, a sort of a smaller closed world, like the stuff that you had been posting before, uh, it was like, oh, yeah, it seems like you said, seems like a, a fun uh, little mechanic seems like a, a very lovely closed experience uh i i can certainly point out places that i could help uh, but it was it was very cool to enter a space that needed me and uh figure out how to be useful there yeah i think the thing that connor helped the most with in my mind like in a pinch we could have done the modeling ourselves in a pinch we could have done the social media ourselves in a pinch we could have done the ui ourselves we could have it wouldn't have looked great but we could have but i think i think the thing that i didn't take into account when we brought connor onto the team that has helped the most is connor's help with the writing because after a certain point connor kind of just fully took the reins on writing the game. I don't know why I, I decided to make a game with so much dialogue in it when I'm not a good <laughs> writer. It's not the smartest decision I've ever made in the world. It's the standard uh, creative curse, is that you, I've, I'm having, I'm actually putting together a D&D &D setting uh right now or, or extrapolating on the one that you played in scott and boy do i just not like politics I, I just i don't really care about the deeper intricacies of what the kings are doing or or, or how the two nations feel about each other and that's kind of important when you're making a story about crossing a continent and and finding artifacts that tie into that stuff it, to making people feel invested in the world uh you, you can lean into what you're good at so far and then you've either got to concede to it not being the best thing it could be or but either way you got to do the thing I don't know if there was a second half of that analogy now that I finally got here. <laughs> and thus is the creative's curse. Sometimes you got to get started and not really know where the heck you're going to end up and then fill in the blanks once you get there. Like I just did in that run-on sentence. 
So, you know, yes, I think many people can definitely relate to the creative's curse in some way, shape or form and can probably relate to what you just said, you know, that you immediately get in over your head and, you know, no offense to anyone in call or in general. Um, but like sometimes when you get in over your head, you realize, oh, I don't know how to swim. And it's always nice when in those moments, someone is either there to tag you out so you don't have to swim anymore or they're able to throw you a lifeline, right? So, I brought you know, the floaties and they had 300 <laughs> lines of dialogue on them. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think many people understand where you, what your analogy was getting to and probably have experienced it before. So it's always, I, you know. I... I had the same I had the same problem on my previous game as well. I made this really it's this really small web game called Zack. You can still Z-A-K. find it on Newgrounds, by the way. You can pause this podcast and go play it right now. <laughs> is this, I think it's on Congregate is where it got the most traffic. Both. Um but your preferred medium. It was this it's this small side scroller. That's very inspired by um, Shovel Knight. Z A K, by the way, if you're searching for it. <laughs> and it's this very tightly designed little thing where it's just a little platformer side scroller with like very specific enemy placements, very specific jump, very specific like weapon. You only have a melee weapon. So everything is sort of designed around that. But I got I got part of the way into it and I'm like, oh, I don't I don't know how to do level design. I don't know anything about level design and I kind of hate doing level design. And in that case, I just muddled through it. And I even I was even working on a sequel to that game for a while. Like, I think over a year I was working on a sequel to that game. And I had the same exact issue. I just was awful at level design. I mean, not awful. Like, I think the... I'm proud of the game that I put out with Zack. And I think I'm proud of the level design that I that I put into the sequel as well. But... It just drained the soul out of me doing this thing that I really didn't like doing and I knew had to be done and had to be done well or else there's no point in the game existing because that's the whole game. And it's kind of the same with Gator Game. Like I'm thankfully Gator Game didn't fall into that same hole, and I attribute a lot of that to Connor taking the reins uh on the writing front. Uh, Connor, we've alluded to Connor having a background in like being a dungeon master, and I can't think of a better background for doing games writing because it's more or less the same thing. Uh, just writing dialogue, writing characters, doing character designs, and figuring out what this character and what are they going to say, and what's their whole deal. Link, how often in the show do you get into the general idea that making a video game along, it's like especially a video game, which is something you have to produce in a physical medium, unlike 
D and DMing and stuff like that is 10,000 different jobs in a trench coat that, you know, three people have to do. You, you know, it's been, it has been gently, um, uh, it has been gently suggested. It has been um, kind of directly discussed, but it's, it's never, never goes a little like, it, how do I put it? Um, it, typically doesn't go to the nitty gritty. And I'm not meaning that in a bad way. I just mean, usually it's kind of just said, and you know, it's something to, oh, okay, be aware of this. Um, usually a picture is not painted when, when that road is taken. I think that's the, the, the best way to put it because, you know, I don't mean to say that in a way that would be um, disparaging or offensive or, or, or discrediting or whatever to anyone I've spoken to before. Um, just usually a picture isn't painted when it comes down to talking about all of those, uh, all of the things that you, you generally don't think of. And, you know, I can, I can say as like a, as a programmer that I've had, that has had to look into, you know, doing projects or whatever that, you know, sitting down and sometimes like going, oh, okay. And setting up like the big map of, okay, this needs to exist. This needs to exist and all of that. Um, and I think anyone that has done that as well can really emphasize with going, oh, crap, there is a lot of stuff that I need to do. And some of those tasks are, as you guys have learned, probably very straightforward and can be very simple. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can bang that out. And then you get into another part of the task and you're like, oh, well, how do like physics, for example, like, well, how do I ensure that the physics interactions are always going to work and I'm not going to clip through this rock and then shoot off into space or or what have you, right? And sometimes in Gator game, I think if you do hit a rock in the wrong way, you could shoot off into space or clip through the ground. <laughs> uh, sometimes the best you can do is just expect that situation to happen somehow and just put in a little failsafe for it and just call it a day and just not spend your all of your time trying to focus on this one tiny aspect of the game. We all you, have our... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. We all have our, our like one or two word titles that we put in, you know, when... Uh, when someone's introducing us on a show or when we're putting something in the credits, we usually call Scott the lead dev. Scott is a programmer, a technical artist, a technical writer, uh, like our terrain person who, who did most of the modeling of the island, uh, our like technical terrain person who does things like, uh, bring players attention to which water is shallow based on like the plants you see there uh it was scott who pretty much uh decided what but there's by the way there's more monsters in the main game than there are in the demo island and they sort of uh have their biomes that they live in uh so that that was scott that that's just like kind of a taste of what a one word title actually looks like under the hood i i think i i think if unless i'm forgetting something i think i'm involved in every single aspect of the game probably including the music yeah robin and i aren't uh 
aren't uh, big on Unity, but I've I've dipped my hands into pretty much anything that doesn't involve coding, and then I spill over into uh, taking care of like the new social media stuff and the the we have a Patreon that is going to be like a community hub pretty soon. And uh, and Ro- Robin is like, oh yeah, Robin's the composer who also happens to have modeled like half of the props in the game and did a lot of work to make sure the playground structures look nice and knows stuff about Unity. Invo- like, there's the side of Unity, the uh, the side of what's it called? The side of Blender that I mess with, which is making cute little animal characters. And then there's the math side of Blender, where there's a keystroke that perfectly uh, parallels these objects and and puts a hole the size you want it to be in this part of it uh, that I just haven't even bothered with. Yeah, I had to learn Python so that I could run stuff in Blender. That's another thing I had to do. I had never touched Python before. I've never didn't touched even know... a Python, but I have come in contact with a black racer. I didn't even know that Blender had Python in it. But, yeah, I've... So that's, even... that's just me. I also want to say that's not to... Uh, the, the obligatory, that's not to discourage anybody listening from starting. You do have to start. But the, just to... For anybody who's maybe out there like, oh, man, why didn't they do this on this game? You know, how how come this isn't what I expected it to be? Just exactly what it is that you're uh, criticizing. And, you know, I think that is a very important thing as well, because a lot of people, you know, myself included, and I'm sure both of you in the past... Uh, have probably played some games and been like, well, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? And, you know, as you, especially people that get into development, um, not for, you know, just in development in general and whatnot, um, or just people that get into making games quickly realize, oh, that's that's probably why. They had pillars they needed to stand on. Or um, what they were working on doing, like that's just how they had to make it work. And so, you know, it's it's always good to have that perspective said out loud for people because you know a lot of people just think it's it's magic that you know um i spoke i spoke with one one guest previously and they thought like the games just made themselves as when they were children and that's you know it's i think a lot of people just have that that mentality of the magic of oh yeah it's just a thing that happens you know you just have to have an idea and then you push a few buttons and then you know being told the realities of it um i think helps to I don't want to say humanize because we're all humans, but it kind of like it kind of like gives the 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 oh, screw it, I'm going to say humanize. It kind of humanizes the process to know that someone is doing that, that there is a breathing, living human being that has to put forth, you know, themselves, especially as a cre- if you're a creative, um, you're putting yourself really into it to put it out there. So. You know, it's all. I think it's always important to keep that in mind. And it's very nice and good to have that said out loud. Um, now, I do want to ask both of you a question. Um, and you know, this kind of goes back to 
view you two as as people, as humans. Um, but I'm quite certain that there has to have been a game for for both of you. I don't I don't assume it would be the same one. If it is, that would be a wild thing. But I have to assume that both of you had a video game that you played when you were younger, or maybe not when you were that much younger, that you stepped back and said, this is what I want to do in life. You know, um, was there, you know, for, for the two of you, uh, whatever, whichever, whomever wants to start first, but, you know, what game was it for you that made that you played and went, this is what I want to do. This is the thing that I need to do in life now. I pick whatever Scott picks. <laughs> no, I'm Joshin. Go ahead. Um, it's weird because I, I've long had the interest in making games. Like in high school, I was programming a really basic game on my TI-83 calculator. Uh, through college, I was making tiny little prototypes to, on the side but the game that like it wasn't a game from my childhood the game that actually got me to be like oh i can make a game right now was actually playing shovel knight when i was like like three years no when in like 2016 when i was like 20 <laughs> 24 or 25 or something. Uh, it was not even the base Shovel Knight. It was Shovel Knight Spectre of Torment. I played that and the levels were so clearly, cleanly designed. The movement was so interesting. And you could, to some degree, see how the game was made. You could, you could feel the developer's hands on the game as you were playing it. Like, to some degree, a game like that, to me, feels like some sort of, like, it feels like you're having a conversation with the developers by playing the game, by experiencing the interesting decisions that they made along the course of development. And playing that and feeling that was the thing that got me to, that, that showed me like, oh, I could make a game like this, a really simple game, much simpler than this, but I could just make a game right now. And so I, that's what started me working on Zach. That's, oh, wait. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's cool it, I, I say to Scott that's cool because I'm currently uh, 26 so it, it's it's interesting to imagine not having decided to <laughs> to make games yet because my uh, my inspiration did come much much earlier it uh, I went to a doctor's office for my ADD when I was very young and he was sort of like an experimental guy so they were just or at least I was just learning about the idea of hand-eye coordination and they thought that hand-eye coordination might um, 
be related to whatever I had going on. And as a result, in his lobby, waiting to be seen, there was a Game Boy Advance. Not not an SP, it was just a Game Boy Advance. And it or maybe an SP. And it had in it a cartridge of Kirby's Nightmare in Dreamland. Now, up until that point, I had played, as I mentioned, Pajama Sam, Freddy Fish, Putt Putt. I had this uh, this Zelda themed typing game, which is burned into my memory. I can I can see this like evil little screen that had the guys that come up out of the sand and have spikes on them and uh, how much I hated, hated trying to escape those guys. They were awful. But those were all just like the, the you mentioned like uh, they disappeared. Yeah, those were just computer games. Those were just those were really cool things that I enjoyed. But Kirby was something else, man. You you had jumps and you had abilities that you could take from people. And my my little creative brain went crazy thinking of all the different abilities you could have and what if you combined abilities and stuff like that. And that's maybe the first time that I got into what I do anytime I play a video game now or watch a movie or do anything, which is, this is awesome. What would I have done? What could, what could make this experience even cooler? And so my, I came into it from a design standpoint where for the next year and a half, all of my notebooks, any pad of paper I could get my hands on had sketches of my character that could copy enemies' abilities and what I thought a fire guy would look like and what I thought an ice guy would look like. And I'm looking back on them now, they're just blatant copyright infringement, but that <laughs> that spirit of creation never left me. So when I was in middle school and they were like, think about what kind of stuff you want to do like 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 a career aptitude type of situation and they went down the list and one of the things was computer something or other i don't even remember what they called it back then but i was like you can do that yes that 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 and they were like oh well you probably want to talk to a guy yeah just as long as they tell me how to do that and that phrase that might I add that misguided phrase that does not mean the same thing from school to school so much so that I refuse to speak it in the unfortunate circumstance that I misguide yet another generation but whatever that meant I thought meant video games making video games and I would repeat it to every guidance counselor I ever talked to after that try to find the classes that would lead me closer to that um I ended up getting a lot of ancillary skills that were useful later when all conjoined together. But uh, I got pretty darn lucky that I had a friend who was meanwhile coding for fun. Me. Yeah. <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. It's very... It's interesting for both you and in, in, in for different for different reasons, Scott. For you, it's it's interesting because you know um, Shovel Knight's. You know, it, you were it was later in your life that you you played a game that went, oh, this is what I want to do, and that's you know I think that's really really neat. And you know, Shovel Knight's a fantastic game, and I think the way you described it 
Um, like it was the developer having a conversation with you. I think that was a really interesting way to do it because, well, I wouldn't use those same words. I would say it's a very similar feeling that I had when I first played Shovel Knight in that uh, for me, it was very obvious, you know, where their inspiration was from and getting to play Shovel Knight. And I, I, I played the, some of the expansions. I need to go back to them um, and actually like complete them. But when I played the, the base Shovel Knight, for me, it was reminding me of, you know, all of the games that I enjoyed when I was a child, all of the games that it drew inspiration from. So, you know, I, I get like, I 100% understand what you're saying. And I think it's just interesting that that is the game, you know, so, so further, much further in your life um, that, that was like the, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And for, for you, Connor, it's the, the thing that interests me the most um, you know, not the fact that it was Kirby and that it led to, you know, just nothing but copyright infringement on your part. Um, cause you know, Kirby is a fantastic game, not to discredit Kirby. I, I have a, um, I don't understand my obsession with it, but I absolutely love Kirby. Um, I I've can't... got two Kirby plushes, a yo-yo and a hammer guy just to the left of me on my printer right this very instant. Can, and you can't explain why you like it so much, right? It's just Kirby, right? It's just, you know, a stupid pink ball with a smile and just makes you feel good. Um, I actually have a disease where I can tell you in great detail why I like everything in my life. But <laughs> that said fact aside, please continue. Um, but the thing that interested me the most or, or amused me the most about that was... You just, it was just a Game Boy sitting at the doctor's office that just yeah. What like Kirby. what the heck? It, it, it what a trusting man, right? <laughs> and I didn't go. I forgot to mention this, but like, I had in in my pursuits as a creative, and because I was such like a confident kid uh, and a loud kid, I I had you know the support of of my family in a lot of what I did, uh, and I'm thankful for that. And so when I when I said like, hey, can I have that? Can can I can I because every time I would go back, you know, the file would be erased and and I could never actually make any progress. And so I asked for a, a Game Boy Advance. I, I had an, a Game Boy Advance SP, which my uncle got me. And then later when the DS Lite came out, he gave me his old DS and I got to start getting into those types of games. But yeah, the it, it almost looking back on it feels like a feels like a narnia type artifact that was planted there in order to seed the game developer that would come later but it that was a, a magical object in my hands that that spirited me into a new world and as cheesy as that sounds it's it's the closest thing to true that i think i've ever said about it so you know thank you for for sharing that and um yeah it's like it's it is really interesting you know just the the general idea of kind of like that uh you know we always see it in movies it's always like you said that like that narnia moment or just like the 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 cliche kind of what have you where like the beam of light just sorry the 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 inciting incident the the moment before the call to adventure when uh when the hero chooses whether to resist the call or take up arms yeah 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 the um oh, the hero's journey there we go that's the 
that's the word I was looking for. But, you know, like the, the spotlight that kind of indicates the turning tide for the hero actually um, actually agreeing to it, actually accepting, you know, well, okay, this is my life now. Um, you know, sometimes the hero's journey, as a weird aside, sometimes the hero, hero's journey takes like several nonsensical um, amounts of time. I shouldn't say nonsense, but I was thinking a wheel of time and how that took like three, four books before, before, mm -hmm. you know, he actually says, I'm going to do it anyway. Sorry. I got a um, recommendation for that series recently. Oh, uh, well, you know, um, as an aside, I, I was listening, well, before the pandemic, I was listening to, to the audio, audio books. Um, fantastically read by the way, to the, the two, the two mm -hmm. people that are, are doing them absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, I need to get back to it because for whatever reason, um, and Scott, you might, you might, I think both of you might, but Scott, you kind of touched on something akin to this um, about working on the game and then the pandemic kind of just throwing everything to the, to the woods. Um, for me, I stopped being able to like listen to things while working from home just because it doesn't work for me. It's not as easy anymore as in the office for whatever reason. So I need to get back to them. Can I, I encourage you too, Connor, and you as, Scott, as well, Scott, if you haven't, because, you know, they're absolutely fantastic from, from I what the, I've been uh, told. the Amazon show, actually. There are words that could be said about, uh, about, about that. Um, yeah, it was all right. It was recommended <laughs> to me because um, what I'm doing right now in my, for my D&D &D players is they're going to be, like, students at a magical school. And so I was asking around, seeing if people had any, any like source, good source material for that. And someone who plays D and D and understands the uh, the intricacies of different fantasy genres suggested The Magicians, which was a very good book. Had stuff that I'm going to be stealing from directly, no salt because I know that my players haven't read it. But um, someone who just kind of knows that fantasy is fantasy suggested wheel of time and it's like yeah this is in a fantasy world you got that part right the uh i don't know if there's anything else i'll be borrowing from it though you but, know i i don't know if the isodized methods for for teaching would be um as conducive to what anyone would be aiming for if they were trying to have a magician school i did i am going to steal one thing from that I love the idea that every ma magician of a certain status level has like a uh, a single bodyguard with whom they share a bond greater than husband and wife. That's like I I, I can't wait to describe like a, a, a archmage walking by with a like a sullen looking right hand. Uh, that stares at the players in an intimidating way, and them learning about that relationship. You, you know, and that's that is like an, a really interesting thing about Wheel of Time as well. Uh, just the whole water system and the different colors and how all that interacts. I'm not going to get into it because my memory's not too great, and also because sure. I don't want to drag us down with that. You said you said this is going to be like a, a sidebar, and now we're getting back into the interview. Uh, well, kind of, yeah, yeah. Trying to pull it back, um, pull it back for for uh, something a little more specific to to things, not uh, not going off on a, a tangent about well, unless you want to, but not going off on a tangent about um, 
the magical intricacies and systems or what have you of different fantasy settings. I could talk about that longer than an hour podcast. So yeah, you <laughs> probably should. Um, so I am curious for both of you, just because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. However, I am curious. Um, outside of games, outside of making games, or outside of playing games, or what have you, um, you know, Connor, I, I, I suspect yours might be D&D related, which is absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, even if any, it's also absolutely fine if the answer is, well, video games, because sometimes it's just video games. But outside of games, what other kind of hobbies do you guys have and enjoy? I really wish I had an answer other than just video games. <laughs> I I don't. I I'm I've been very I've had a very singular focus my whole life, which has just been video games. Uh it's a bit of a problem since I've gotten into game development because now with experience as a game developer, it's sort of changed the way that I play games. Um, Because now, instead of just playing a game, I'm constantly analyzing the games that I'm playing, which is a little bit not as relaxing (laughs) as it used to be. Um, So I, I don't know. To some extent... I I just play video games. I watch people play video games, <laughs> as we all do. Uh, so other than that, not much. So Scott, let me let me put a, like a a a, a twist or or not twist a, an addendum or what have you to that question. Then, um, so in your case, you know, if if you know, video games is your hobby, is what you do most of the time, which is perfectly fine. Um, what what kind of games like what are you playing now what kind what game are you playing now and what kind of game are you enjoying now um right now oh one thing i should say is that i specifically play games off the computer i from working on games on the computer it's really made me have to play them off the computer in order to for them to not be to not feel like work because I come to the computer and I work at the computer and then I go over to the couch and I play games for relaxing on the couch. So I pretty much exclusively play console games now, um, which is a problem because a lot of indie games are just on PC, which is why I'm really glad I finally got a Steam Deck. Um, but currently, currently I'm I've been playing the new God of War, which is fun uh i have thoughts about it that i won't get into right now i've also been playing the new pokemon game which is also fun but i also have a lot of thoughts about uh but the the type of game that i usually play to unwind is typically something more like the new pokemon which is something where you just turn it on and you just play it for a while until you aren't playing it anymore. Um, when it's a game that's like, I don't know, like Uncharted or something, it's kind of hard to to, to, to actually commit to that. Like, 
something that's like a short-term singular experience is great, but also very ephemeral to an extent. I really like something like Breath of the Wild or the new Pokemon game or even I've been playing a lot of Vampire Survivors where it's just a game where you play a game while you're playing the game. Like which tunic which you'd think would be every game but it's not these days, is it? No, I was actually just thinking to myself that uh, that what I what I have been craving is uh, is like a where things are going, which is a more narrative ex- something. What Scott is asking for is something that you could put in an arcade cabinet. Uh, whereas I am feeling like I, I almost want to play a storybook. Like I, I want. Uh, an overarching goal and then little goals in between which is a lot like what gator game is by the way but uh... (laughs) you know and that's that's very fair and um you know scott i don't think there's anything wrong with that like i spoke with someone that referred to vampire survivor as like sugar like you just sort of you play it you get your hit and then you can move on for a bit or you can go back to it kind of like you're getting your sugar hit and I I loved the way that they described um, not not Vampire Survivor and I played Vampire Survivor it's perfectly fine I enjoy it for what it is but the the idea that some games can just be sugar something you can just pick up play and enjoy and um, you know they Connor what you said like they're they're kind of like the arcadey kind of games and I think that's mm-hmm. perfectly valid because you know yeah. sometimes you just want a short hit you just want to play a little game that the moment to moment is quick it's easy you can be in and out if you want or you can spend a little more time or what have you um so yeah no i think you know that's perfectly perfectly valid and it's it's um i don't know why i'm saying perfectly valid as if you're seeking validation from me for it but um (laughs) i think as a general sense saying to like just you know those types of games because i know um there are some people like there's always the argument of you know what makes a gamer or what what um or if a game needs to be like 40 hours versus 30 minutes or or what have you, what have you. Like all of that nonsensical rabble-rousing discourse. Um, and I think like what I'm really getting to is like the in general, you know, the it's perfectly valid to like what you like. And if what you like is something that's just going to be a quick punch, something that's going to like make you enjoy yourself and be easy to put down or walk away from or play in chunks and you don't have to you know, you don't have to exhaust yourself um, playing. And, you know, I there are some games where, and, you know, Scott, you this might might hit home with you, I don't know. But, like, I've definitely played games where it's a perfectly fine game. It's a perfectly enjoyable game, but it's exhausting because, like, you have to be on. You have to be there for it. And, you know, you don't, you don't always want that kind of game. And like, for me personally, I've not, I've never played um, the last of us part two. Oh um, God. Exactly. Exactly. I think Scott, I think you, I think you, um, I think, you know, your exasperation there, you know, is probably the reason that I don't want to play it. And it's that it's from what I've seen, what I've heard, whatever, 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 that is a game that you are, you have to be present for. And, you know, 
depending on the events that are happening, that could be an exhausting experience. And sometimes you just don't need or you don't want that. And, you know, it's, I think it's perfectly valid to ignore or speak against the discourse that says, no, you know, uh, games need to be X, need to be Y, need to be Z. That's stupid and gatekeeping. Um, so yeah, so sorry, I wasn't, I rambled there a little bit. Um, that wasn't meant to, for me trying to say, you know, you're validated just more as a concept in general for people that it's perfectly valid to not feel you need to play like a, an 80 hour game that, or whatever that whatever requires you, you to be. Yeah, exactly. Play whatever the heck you want. Um, especially play a little Gator game. I think it's going to be great. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm looking um, through my Steam library right now, and I'm remembering. I'm I'm remembering a, a complex answer to your question, which is when I've I've opened things, I've opened this up, and the last games that I've interacted with that have stuck with me are Disco Elysium. Mm -hmm. Uh, where are the other ones? Disco Elysium. Outer Wilds, Oxenfree, um, these these games that satisfy my desire to sit down and and do like one thing for a while and and be engaged in one story. But man, those games are sad. <laughs> they they're <laughs> they're sad and scary, and that's not a criticism. That is simply a truth. Uh, I'm I'm looking at like. And then you have another side of the coin. You have games like, uh, just in my library, Back for Blood, Lethal League, Going Under, games that either ask you to be on point in like a difficulty sense or a competitive sense. And I have so few games in this library that are... And like a, just to shout out some more great ones, uh, Later Alligator is a is an easy game that has a nice story it's uh it's indie so it's not like triple a length or anything the animation but, is all done by small boo famous small from boo. batman Spider-Man. yeah oh oh right 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 yes thank you i i forgot about that and then the moment you mentioned it, i immediately mm -hmm. remembered that that is why um my significant other actually well one of the main reasons she actually bought that game because of Batman, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Sorry, Spider-Man. Batman and Spider-Man. It was a very good game, um, and I, I have nothing bad to say about it. Currently, in my every time I click into my Steam library, I see stories that I've already seen. Right, so I, I could rehash a story if I want. Games that ask a lot of me in terms of like difficulty. And when I'm just chilling, trying to do something, I get, I get, um, like, not sad's not the right word. I get antsy when I start playing a game and I realize that it's sugar. I, I get antsy when I realize that I'm doing something that's buzzing my brain, but not actually accomplishing anything and like uh, to maybe I'm psychoanalyzing myself now but <laughs> what I've said before made me excited about games was 
seeing new and crazy ideas and then borrowing them and and changing them in my head and when i play these games that are just like buzzing the the um the sugar part of my brain but not uh dropping off any meat i i recognize it and if and i by the way i think gator game fills this niche the niche of an experience that and I'm going to interrupt myself again. We didn't we didn't know if this was going to be a very long game, but so far it's turning out to give more hours of entertainment than we expected. But um, this idea of a game that goes on for a long time and you have lots of things to do and there's not very much resistance or, to doing them. You know, the, the game wants you to succeed and it's fun every time you succeed. Uh, that's... That's something that I'm aching for right now. And I've been getting that out of people giving me recommendations for things they like, especially shows. Shows ask absolutely nothing of you, um, which makes me even like they've got to be a good show because otherwise that little part of my brain speaks up. That's like, why are you watching this? Uh, that's the end of that. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going back. I don't know that Vampire Survivors is sugar. It Please defend Vampire has, Survivors right now. It actually had like, I get that same feeling that I was talking about with Shovel Knight, that I'm having a conversation with the developers by playing Vampire Survivors. Like, on its face, it is a very uh, simple game. And generally, it is. But as you progress through it, the game is constantly like, okay, this thing you took for granted. What if that was different? What if we added this new thing that sort of changes how you approach this mechanic of the game? Like, as it goes, it's almost like an incremental game where it's adding complexity over time, which sort of makes you reevaluate the way that you play the game every time something changes. So I don't know that it is sugar, because I think I also have a little bit of a problem. Like, I mm, I was really looking forward to Slime Rancher 2. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, it is in early access. And one, the game is gorgeous. Two, uh, the general gist of it works very well. But as I continued to play it, I very quickly realized, like, oh, there's there's not much here. <laughs> like, I could sit mm. here and farm things and keep making money and keep, you know, farming more slimes, but nothing was changing, and so I just kind of lost interest. Like, I, I lose interest in a game if it doesn't actually reveal something new to me yeah i think that's it, it, it it's maybe derogatory and I, I i when i agreed i never meant for it to be but the uh, when i think of sugar i'm not thinking of like a pile of sugar on a table i'm thinking of the way i eat sugar which is oh i want some ice cream i want it to have like a reese's cup in it and then later when i want sugar again i might have like a soda it's it's different every time and every time it satisfies it keeps satisfying right it, you you it doesn't fill you up very much you don't get very full off of it 
so you can keep taking on sugar and keep scratching that itch. And yeah, eventually you're going to be like, oh, that's enough sugar and put it down. But you will go back and you will buy another candy bar the next day. That's I still find this to be a very unfavorable comparison. All right, well, fine. You think of a comparison <laughs> and then we'll use that instead. Um, but, you know, I, I think I understand what you're trying to say, Connor, and I, I agree. And Scott, I'm not trying to, like, you know, start an argument or whatever, but I think the, the, the prospect of if sugar he disagrees is... with you, Scott. How do you feel about <laughs> that? Uh, I think the prospect of, like, a game being like sugar is kind of like you can only define what sugar is to you, right? Like, um, you know, I might like chocolate, you might like peanut butter, and, you know, we might, we don't, you know, we might not like the same things but at the end of the day the the concept of what is sugar and what isn't sugar i think is like uniquely defined to us in what's going to give us that hit um now you know in your case vampire survivor might not be sugar and that's perfectly fine um you know but in the same way something like um uh let's say ski free Wow, going real, way back there in my head. Um, ski free might be sugar for someone just because it 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 checks those boxes and hits them. Or you know, Kirby might be sugar for someone, but at the same time, Kirby might not be sugar for someone because it's for them it represents something very different, right? So um, I don't I don't think it's. I'm trying to choose my words properly here because I don't want I'm not trying to like say I'm, I'm trying to shut down you know the conversation on that but I just I don't think um similar in the way that like the argument of what you enjoy I don't think it's a safe thing to try and discuss or argue what is or isn't sugar just because it's something that's deeply personal um or it can maybe it's not deeply personal but it's like it's one of those things that like you know, only only really you can define it. And, you know, I don't think uh, not to say that's what's happening right now, but just in general, I don't think having someone try and like tell you, oh, no, this is what sugar is. This is how, you know, you know, this game is definitely sugar, like trying to put those metrics on it, I think is probably going to do more harm to you than good, because then you're going to end up potentially overanalyzing and then maybe not even enjoy what actually is your sugar, because you know, now you're seeing it in a new light. And, you know, you touched on when you play games now, you overanalyze them. Um, and like me personally, um, there was, um, I just, I, I can't ever remember the, per the, the video, the person that made this video, but they were like touching on games like uh, Skyrim or Fallout um, and how the question they always ask, you know, if the world feels lived in, how they eat. And like, because of that, I now, when I play like, you know, immersive sims or open world games like that, if I don't see how someone eats, I am judging the thought process that went into it. Or like, um, you know, like, or like the movie tropes, when the more you learn about the movie sins, and I, or, or um, I shouldn't say movie sins, because that's a YouTube thing. But like, the more you learn about like tropes and cliches and stuff, the more you start to like pick them out, and the more that hampers your enjoyment. Um, so like, I'm, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to like attack the view of, of defining sugar, but I'm just meaning, you know, I think it's probably one of those things where you're just going to do yourself more harm than good. If you try and overly define it instead of just kind of going, oh, piece of candy, oh, piece of candy, oh, piece of candy. And, you know, that piece of candy might be uh, a Snickers bar right now, or might be a 
cherry Coke at the next time and might be like a slice of pie the next time after that or what have you. Right. Like it's sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to attack you. It's just, um, um, the next thing. (laughs) Sorry. What Connor? I, I, I said, I said, we, we can, we like, you're, yeah, it's, this has been a convert. uh, Sorry. Sorry. Let me let me just clear the air here a little bit. <laughs> Instead of framing this as like sugar or not sugar, I think mm-hmm. the better way to to characterize, at least in my head, the types of games that I actually enjoy to play is whether they're interesting. Like, is this game making interesting choices? Is this game yeah. not necessarily that it's making me make interesting choices, but is this game is the design of this game or the way this game is put together? interesting like you look at something like outer wilds which is very very deeply interesting on pretty much every level of its creation or you look at breath of the wild which takes the typical open world uh game structure and shifts everything around in a really interesting way that kind of no other game had done at the time and I don't think any game has really done the same since either or or even something on its face very simple like vampire survivors uh which yeah I would I would find it very interesting and love it and that's why I cannot play it or I mentioned before that I've had this this uh that since becoming a game developer, it's become harder to play games because I'm I analyze them a lot more. And for no other games is that more true than than action adventure indie games like the one we're making. Mm. It it becomes very difficult for me to play games that are similar to ours because it's just for better or worse, I know I shouldn't, but like in my head, I'm constantly just comparing their choices to my choices in my game. Mm-hmm. But, um, but recently there was actually an exception to that rule, which was Tunic. Tunic had such interesting decisions in it that I it fully elevated itself out of that sort of zone into like oh i could never make this game (laughs) i could never make this game it's way too complicated and has and has way too many crazy uh, swings that it's doing that it's really really cool and has so many interesting decisions that went into the development of it. All right, Red Tunic listeners, that's what you have to look forward to. Two games from now, when Mega Wobble is still going strong. I just said I could podcast. never make that game. Scott will be an empty husk that has made everything and will not be able to enjoy any video game on the planet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I say we can make that game, probably, or something. That's also very interesting. Uh... And I think that Little Gator was a pretty gosh darn good first step towards that uh, that goal that shall destroy us. 
So <laughs> that does. <laughs> sorry, uh, not to try and doomsay about you know moving towards the what comes after Little Gator. You know, I do want you guys to focus on Little Gator first before you find the stepping stones that will destroy you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> and with that as well, I don't. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, guys. I don't want to keep you too long. I know before we started, um, you know, it was getting near dinner time, and now it probably is pushing dinner time for you guys. Um, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to let you guys get on if your evening. Have some downtime um, or, or you know, more little gator working time, whatever you choose to do. Um, but, you know, before I, before I let you go, you know, if there was anything else you guys wanted to, to throw out there, like a cool game, um, another, a last pitch for a little gator, which, you know, I, I think is a fantastic game, easy pitch to make in my opinion, um, or something you just feel more people to be aware of, I want to, want to give you guys the floor. Oh, right on. Uh, okay, let me think about what we've already said. I can do a call to action for Gator game. Yeah, do a call to action. If you've got one lined up, go for it. I don't have one lined up. I'll just do it off the cuff. Oh, well, all right, cool. I mean, if you like games like Breath of the Wild, but you want it to be smaller, uh, easier digestible, and sillier, then... Gator Game is coming out uh, December 14th on Steam and Nintendo Switch. If you're a parent and you don't have time for an 80-hour experience, if you're <laughs> someone who knows a child who like is old enough for video games, but uh, I, you're worried about all the violence in movies and other stuff on TV, then uh, this is a, a rated E for everyone. Maybe E10 with like cartoon ragdolling off cliff type stuff, but th this is a game that's meant for uh, a younger audience to enjoy as well. And if you're somebody like Scott says who's just here to chill, we think that you will laugh, cry, and uh, have all sorts of other fancy emotions about it. And you know that's that's great to hear. And like. You know, as as I've said many times before, when trying when when playing the demo, you know, I, it it was absolutely fantastic, and I'm looking forward to getting to have a much uh, wider experience with everything that you know was presented, and then some. Um, and with that is in mind as well, where can where can we learn more about you know the game or either of you? I got all the dates in my head right now. The game is going to be out December 14th. However, you can start pre-ordering the game on December 1st. However, if you wish to pre-order on Switch in North America only, you have to wait until December 5th. Those are our dates. We also have uh, a Twitter, which has been going strong, and we're starting to branch out into Instagram and TikTok. Uh, some of the stuff there is pretty funny. I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. And that's all at Little Gator Game. At Little Gator Game. Everything is at Little Gator Game, all the, all the way down. And, uh, and we have a Patreon. If you, if you feel the urge to uh, be a part of the process of the game, we, we are, like, just as a disclaimer, we're doing absolutely fine uh, with 
with uh, the support from our publisher. It is not a necessity for you to donate in order to uh, like keep us afloat or anything. But no. if you feel like putting it out there, the option is available to you. No. The game comes out in a few weeks. The game is, I mean, the game is 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 We've wrapping up it. development. <laughs> yeah, it, we. There's 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 a uh, edges to file, but we've made the video game. So that's great, and thank you guys for for you know for for joining me. I'm going to include you know all of that information as well as the Patreon. You know, like you said, uh, I know you were a little hesitant on there, but that will be all of that will be included in links. Anyone wants to follow through, because um, I know you also mentioned that at some point the Patreon was going to kind of turn into a community hub as well, which is. Um, yes. An easy way to to follow along, learn more, have what I'm going to assume everything kind of in one easy place, which is, you know, nice and great. Yeah, we actually, uh, now that you mention it, um, lots of people are looking forward to speedrunning Little Gator Game. And I, I've specifically been asked and, and lots of lots of Twitter DMs are like, this is what you could do if you wanted that to happen. It, making a place for people to gather and and post clips and and tips and um there's lots of yeah this isn't something that was present in the demo either there's lots of tools uh that's got put in the game to um make it easier to keep track of like the times you get on little races or i think some of them are climbing challenges as well uh so we we, we expect a robust community on that front and if you are not really interested in speed running, but you maybe want to talk to some people about cute animals or or just stay in touch with a, a close-knit community, we hope there's something for you there, too. Awesome. Yeah, so definitely going to include that. And hopefully, hopefully people can find that community and, you know, enjoy themselves with it. Now... If there wasn't anything else, I am going to let you guys get on if you're evening, let you guys get on to dinner. I know I kept you a little longer um, than we had intended to. So I do apologize, but I do thank you for your patience with me, especially joining me for the first um, dual interview, Woo! you know, what have you. Um, but yeah, if there was nothing else, I will let you guys get on if you're evening and go and eat, put some food in your stomachs or what have you. Good night, Red Tunic Podcast. Woo! Well, thank you, Connor, for your your much uh, your huge uh, enthusiasm. I really appreciate it, Scott, uh, as well. Thank you for 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 being here for you know for for joining us for. Thank you for having me. So yeah, thanks again to both Scott and Connor for making time to have this conversation with me, and thank you for joining us on the Red Tunic podcast, as well as a special thanks to Ron Jenkins for the use of music from the title track from Road Steep. And if you like this podcast and want to support and help it grow, please subscribe or follow me on Twitter at Red Tunic Podcast to receive the latest episodes and news, and be sure to share it with those you think might also enjoy it. Thanks, until next time.